every year about this time. It's getting close to Easter. It's, when does Easter come this, time, this year? Out of, the 8th of April, okay. We're close, not too far. But Karen and I, we love to, we have a kind of a ritual we do. We love to watch a movie. We have a DVD of the movie called Jesus of Nazareth by Franco Zeffirelli. How many of you have seen this movie? You know, I, I normally don't like movies about Jesus because, I mean, it's almost blasphemous, right? You can't, you can't catch um, the Son of God on film. You're not ever going to catch the es- essence of, of God incarnate on film. But this is about the best representation biblically of, of His life, and there's much Scripture in it. So Karen and I, we really, really love the movie. You know, the Gospel of John tells us that Andrew and John were among the first to follow Jesus Christ. Now, we know that Andrew's brother is Peter. Peter. That's right. Peter. And Scripture doesn't tell us uh, Andrew's discussion with Peter about becoming a disciple. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But the movie, with a little creative license, gives us this scene. This is not biblical. But it rings very true for anyone who's really ever stood there and understood what the call of Christ meant. So listen to uh, this, this dialogue. Again, this is not scriptural. This is from the movie. Okay, Andrew says to Peter, I found the Messiah. Right? Peter says, Andrew, I'm not like you. I'm not a follower of priests and prophets. I'm a fisherman. I have my family to think of. You followed the Baptist. Now go follow this one. Leave me alone. This is my life. These are my nets. This is my boat. Go. You follow Him, but leave me. This is where I belong. That night, in the movie, uh, that night, Peter listens to Jesus do just a stirring uh, story about the prodigal son. It's just, it's, I, I cry every time I watch the scene. Right? And uh, it's, it's beautifully done. And Peter is deeply moved. So the next day, they all jump in Peter's boat, Jesus and the handful of disciples he has at this time, and he takes them across the Sea of Galilee, right? And so Jesus gets out of the boat. You know, Andrew gets out, John gets out, Nathaniel gets out, a handful of them get out, Matthew gets out, and they start to go with Jesus. And Peter's standing on his boat. And he looks at Jesus, and he looks at his boat. And he looks at Jesus. He looks at his boat. Matthew and, and Peter, their eyes, their eyes uh, catch one another. And they look at each other. Matthew turns and he goes with Jesus. So Peter's just standing there. He's trying to decide. What's he going to do? You know, every, I think every would-be Christian who really understands what the call of Jesus is about has stood there in that scene. I love that scene. I've stood there. If you're a Christian tonight, you've stood there. You've had to make that decision. If you're going to give your, really give yourself away to Him, I'm not talking about religion. I always make that qualification in here. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about biblical Christianity, which is truly giving yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come back to Peter in just a bit. I love Little Debbie snack cakes. Nobody else loves Little Debbie snack cakes? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, some of the Americans know. You know the little white ones? They got six sides. They're, what's that, a hexagon? It's a hexagon, and it's got white icing with chocolate, spray, uh, chocolate things on there. That's why they call them zebras. 
And you bite into it, and it has this uh, white cake and this white cream. I love the cream. You know, you guys remember Adam? Any of you remember Adam? He hated Little Debbie snack cakes. But he's Canadian. I don't think we have any Canadians, right? But I love those. I mean, if you've ever had one, you would love it too. Um, I love college football. I love American college football. I love barbecue ribs at Corky's in Little Rock. I love Cottam's cheeseburgers in Scott in Little Rock. I love Gadwall's Grills onion rings. I love the beach. I love living in Italy. I love you. I love my wife. I love Christ. Do you see the problem in the English? Am I saying that I feel the same about the Little Debbie snack cakes as, I, as I'm saying about Jesus? Of course not. This is a part of the problem we have with the English. We understand in the English that there's always a relative degree implied by the context. Of course I'm not saying I love my wife like I love onion rings. That's not what I'm saying. We understand it's different, right? We understand that it's different. The Bible tells us that God is love and that God made us to love. He made us to love. He gave us a, a myriad of things to love. You know, from the ridiculous Little Debbie snack cakes to God and everything in between. He's given us a million and one things to, to love in proper context, right? In proper context. That's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. What are the first two commandments? Does anybody know? There's a, there's a euro. I got a euro in my pocket. You shall not love... You shall What? No other gods. You shall have no other gods before me. And what else? What's the second one? You shall not make any idols. Right? Then God goes on to say, you shall not worship or serve idols, for I am a jealous God. Now we know Oprah doesn't like that. Oprah's told us. This is when she started to fall away from being a Christian. When she heard that God was jealous. She knew that wasn't right. I've heard her talk about this. God's not ashamed to say He's jealous. God says He is a jealous God. What's the greatest commandment according to Jesus? Jesus takes those two and, or, or those and, and, and a few others and he, he crunches them down into the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does that describe you? This is what Jesus says about love. What does the Bible call it when men love something more than they love God? What does the Bible call it? Idolatry. Man, you guys are... <laughs> Maybe I need to sit out there. Some of you need to come up here. You guys are doing great. It is idolatry, right? To love something more than we love the Lord. It doesn't have to be an idol. It doesn't have to be a carved image. Anything that you love and pursue and desire more than your Creator, this is idolatry. So let me stop and ask you right here, do you love and pursue anything above God? Is there anything in your life that you love and desire and pursue and want more than Him? If the answer is yes, you have an idol in your life. We're just going to talk biblically tonight, right? We're not going to... No hanky-panky, as one guy used to say. No hanky-panky. Just, uh, we're just going to talk biblically tonight. 
If you love anything more than you love the Lord your God, the Bible says that you are an idolater. If you have anything uppermost in your affections more than the Lord, Piper, Piper says, John Piper says, this is a great insult to God. Of course, any thinking person knows this. This is a great insult, right? Let's take a minute. The only reason you exist is because what? Your Creator willed it to be so. You know, men are so haughty and arrogant. Are we not? The only reason your heart's going to beat one more time is because God has willed it to be so. You owe Him everything. Everything you are, everything you have, it's from God. It's from the gracious hand of God. You certainly don't deserve all the good things He's given to you. I certainly don't deserve all the good things He's given to me. He's just a good God. This is how the Lord is. This is a great, Piper says, it's a great insult to love anything more than Him. And you don't have to be, again, you don't have to be Einstein to figure this out. If you just think about it for a few minutes, you'll understand why it's such a great insult to God. Piper goes on, his sin of definition is this. It, sin is the suicidal exchange of the infinite value and beauty of God for some fleeting, inferior, sugar-coated substitute. I love that definition of sin. I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. It's what God is saying in Isaiah 55, Jeremiah 2, Romans 1. Men, God says, men have exchanged me for junk. Men love stuff more than they love me. It's the Word of God. He says it numerous times. He says it numerous times in Scriptures. That's where we left Peter. Is Peter going to love his boat and his business and his family more than he loves Jesus? That's what that whole scene is about. If you're a Christian, you've stood there. You know what's at stake. He's either Lord or He's not. You know, you can't, there's no middle ground in Christianity. You're, he's either Lord or He's not. If He's not Lord of your life, you are not a Christian. It's as simple as that, beloved. This is not hard. I know. <laughs> I know that people want to make it hard. It's not hard. It's never been hard. But Peter, he's looking at Jesus and he's looking at his boat. Does he want his stuff or does he want the Lord? What's he going to be? What's he going to be for Peter? Does he desire Jesus more or his temporal means of support? Is he more in love with his profession and his, his comfortable life and his ease and his, his successful business? Is he more in love with that? Or is he more in love with Jesus Christ? This is what it always comes down to, beloved. This is what it comes down to for all who would be disciples of the Lord. I love this scene. I just love this scene. It makes me cry every time I see it. Jesus said you must decide. Here's the deal. Your great Creator God, He lets you decide. You decide what you want to love. You decide. It's up to you. He lets you decide what you're going to love preeminently. He lets you decide. There's a great cost in choosing to love anything more than Jesus Christ. We, I think we had this verse maybe three or four weeks ago. I don't remember now. Matthew 6.24 Jesus says you can't serve two masters, right? You know this. I know that most people who call themselves Christians, they try. They just want to straddle the fence. They want to love 
Jesus on Sunday and you know, sometimes in, in maybe one or two times the rest of the week, but really I'm pursuing and loving and lusting for this other thing in the world in, during the rest of the week. But Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other or you're going to hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money and that goes for anything you love. Not just money, anything you love. More than you love the Lord. So what's true about money is true about any idol. You cannot serve two gods at once. You have to decide what God you will serve. Have you made that decision? Let me just ask, have you made that decision? Have you got that cleared up? Is Jesus first? Or is He just a religious habit? You need to decide that, beloved. You need to decide, friend, tonight. You need to decide. Am I just in a religious habit here? Is this just cultural for me? Is this tra just traditional for me? Am I, am I just doing what my parents did? Or am I in a love relationship with the living God? That's really, that's really what we're talking about tonight. As I said to you earlier, 1 John is the book of assurance. Uh, we're not going to preach verse by verse through 1 John, but I'm going to hit some of the high points. We've seen, you can study it for yourself, this will be the seventh hallmark of, of true Christianity that we've seen in the first 27 verses of 1 John. Let me just summarize it for you real quick. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, we believe Jesus is the Christ. He is, he is the Son of God. This is a hallmark of true conversion. The second one was, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, we are in fellowship with Jesus, we walk in the light, we practice the truth, we understand, not not, we're not talking about sinless perfection. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about the direction and, and uh, the, the movement of our life. Chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Here's the third one. We own and deal with our sin. We confess it to God. We don't hide it. We don't deny it. We deal with it. Another hallmark of being a true Christian. The fourth one is in chapter 2, 3 through 6. We talked about it last week. To know God is to love God. To love God is to obey God. We are doers of the Word. Again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. None of us do it perfectly. But it's, the, it's our heart's desire to honor the Lord in our life and in our obedience. The fifth one is in John chapter 2, verse 10. We love the brethren. We love the, we love the body. That's why we're here. One reason we're here. We love Christ. We love His body. The church is the body of Christ. So we come to, to, to be a part of the body. We serve the body. We use our, our gifts in the body. It's the hallmark of true Christianity. Chapter 2, verse 10 is the fifth one. Oh, I'm sorry, that was it. The love of the brethren. The sixth one is chapter 2, 13 to 14. We overcome evil by the power of God, God's Word, and the Spirit of God. Tonight is the seventh hallmark of true Christianity in the book of 1 John. We do not love the world and the things of the world. We do not. And I'll tell you the best reason not to, they're too small. You understand what I'm saying? The things of the world are simply too small for us. We've met God. He's infinitely more fascinating than anything in the world. He has stolen our hearts. We can no longer keep our hearts. He owns them now. We're hopelessly in love with this beautiful God.
Verse 15. You heard the text read earlier. I'll just read first. I'll read verse 15 again. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. First, I'll say that there's no wordplay here. Uh, the Greek word translated love, it's, it's the same each time. It's the word of agape. You guys know this word. Most of you know this word. It means to love in the deepest sense. It means to love dearly. It means to be devoted to. Um, we could paraphrase it like this, that uh, the world is not uppermost in our affections. In fact, you could translate this verse like this, and I like it. Do not have the world or the things of the world uppermost in your affections. Now see, I'm not saying you can't love your family and you can't love your job and you know, you, you can't... I'm not, I'm not saying those kinds of things. You can't love your kids. But everything's in relative degree. Right? It's all relative. It's all relative in degree. We need to understand that. Do not have the world or the things of the world uppermost in your affections. If anyone has the world uppermost in their affections, God is not uppermost in their affections. God has called uh, you to have Him uppermost in your affections. Everything else comes after that. And you know this is true, don't you, beloved? If you actually love God first, you'll actually be a better husband. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better friend. You know, if Jesus is first... You're going to be better at everything else. Yes? So no one loses in this relationship when we affirm that we love Jesus above all else. Our spouse, our children, everything. This is the way the Bible speaks. Now, the Bible also says if we love the world... If you look over there in James chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible is really strong. Let me just read it to you. James 4, verse 4. God says this is adultery. To love anything more than me is adultery. It's harlotry. This is how God speaks about it. James 4, 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God calls men who uh, worship idols, He calls them idolaters. He calls them idolaters. It doesn't matter if it's a carved image or if it's money or power or possessions or career or security, recognition, love, marriage, children, family, fill in the blank. Anything you love above God, it's idolatry, beloved. And again, you lose and everyone around you loses if God is not uppermost in your affections. So there's a lot at stake here in these verses in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15-17. to 17. There's a lot at stake here. Surely only the most self-absorbed, foolhardy man would want, to be, would want to make himself an enemy of God, as that James 4, 4 passage says. Surely we wouldn't want to make God our enemy. Who wants to make God their enemy? Who would want to do that? I can't imagine. Only the biggest fool imaginable would do that. It would be insane 
to do that. In fact, that's one theologian's definition of sin. It's insanity. It's rebellion against a gracious and good Creator God. One thing we need to understand here, uh, the Bible uses the word world in three distinct ways. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. One way, of course, is the created earth, just the physical planet. Sometimes when the Bible says world, it's talking about that. There are other places when the Bible uses the word world, it's talking about humankind that's inhabiting this world. We understand that. But in this, in this context, the Bible is using the word world and it's using it in the sense of the fallen world system that is hostile to God. The fallen world system that is hostile to God. That's the sense in which the Holy Spirit is using the word in this context. He's talking about this worldly mindset that we encounter every day out in the world, right? I mean, all you got to do is turn on the media. <laughs> all you got to do is open up a magazine. All you have to do is go to the movie. All you got to do is listen to a secular song. You know, that's, all you have to do is turn on the TV. Every form of media, they are demeaning God. They are rejecting God. And ultimately, they are hating God. Beloved, to ignore God is to hate God. To ignore the true God is a form of hatred. Because if you really met Him, <laughs> you can't help but love Him. We talked a lot about that last week. So the world system that ignores and demeans and slanders and rejects and hates God that's what the Bible's talking about here. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So the Bible tells us that Satan is the ruler of this world system. And he hates God. If you read your Bibles, if you're familiar with them, you understand Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 talks about Satan as he's the prince of the power of the air. John 12, 31 talks about Satan as the ruler of this world with a lowercase r. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 talks about lowercase g, he's the he's the little g god of this world. 1 John 5:19 says the whole world lies in his power. So we understand that. We understand that. And the Bible also confirms what we already know that fallen Men, unredeemed men, unregenerate men are His enthusiastic accomplices in this God-hating, God-demeaning, God-rejecting, God-ignoring world. Fallen men are His accomplices in this. So the Holy Spirit is teaching us if we're friends, if we are friends with this world that hates God, the love of God is not in us. It's really simple. It's really quite simple. The Bible is asserting that if we're friends with the world, there's no way we could know God. There's no way we could know Him if we knew Him. As we said at, at length last week, if we knew Him, we'd love Him. If we love Him, we'd obey Him. This is how it always works. 
We can't help, we can't help but obey Him. We love Him. That's why Christians do, as we talked about last week, that's why these Christians do the most extraordinary things. Not only in the Bible, but down through the history of the church. Some are even sawn in two with a smile on their face because they are so in love with this awesome God. John 15, 18-20 tells us, if you were of the world, Jesus says, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You remember what Jesus says in John 17, we are, we are in the world, but what? We're not of it. Let me ask you, are you, are you in the world, but not of it? Is that true of you? Is that true of you? Some of you know what I'm talking about, about being hated and persecuted. Some of you have experienced this in your school, in your work, in your social circles, some of you even in your family. Karen and I have experienced this even in our family. The Bible is teaching the Christian that we really don't belong here anymore. And everybody around us, they know it. We don't really belong here anymore, and everyone around us knows it. And we're living accusation against the world. Amen? As the light of God flows through us, as the Word of God flows through us, as we honor, seek to honor Christ in our life, we are living accusation against the evil deeds of the world. So the world hates us even as it hated Jesus Christ. I know some of you have experienced this. I have experienced it. Sometimes you will encounter the most irrational hatred against you for no good reason. And what you need to understand is that is a high compliment to you. When some worldling, some lost person is exhibiting irrational hatred against you for no good reason, they're simply hating God. They're simply hating the light that's coming through you. They hate the saltiness of your light, of your life. They hate the, the luminous quality of your life. The light of your life, as Jesus is evident in you, it convicts them, and they hate it. Men flee to the darkness because their deeds are evil. This is why the world hates the Christian. Verse 16, for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. This is the, the junk that Satan has flushed into the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. That's how he got Eve. And that's how he gets you and me. <laughs> you may remember the account... In Genesis, Satan came and planted two lies in the mind of Eve. Does anybody remember what they are? God is holding out on you. If He loved you, He'd give you that tree. He's not good. He's holding out on you. Oh, the other one is, sin's much better. Sin's much better. Two lies. 
God's not good and sin is better. It's the same two lies He tells you and me. He hasn't had to come up with any new material. We're still falling for it. I can hear Him laughing. <laughs> He's never had to come up with a different lie. He just keeps using these. God's not really good or He'd give you everything you think you want. And sin is a lot better. Sin is a lot better than God. You know, <laughs> Satan, he never had to come up with anything else. We're so easy. We're so easy. You know the account, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. You can just see, you can see it, you can see these elements of, of 1 John 2.16 in that, in that account. The woman saw the tree that it was good for food, the lust of the flesh. And it was delightful to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And the tree was desirable to make one wise, the boastful pride of life. Her flesh lusted, her eyes lusted, her, her pride was, was inflamed, and she took and she ate. That's just how you sin. It's just how I sin. Satan's never had to come up with anything new. I know he must laugh at how easy we are. I've told you this before. It's important for you to understand. Many of you are new, so you don't, you've never heard me say this. But you may be aware of it theologically. You know that God made you to lust. You know this, right? You were made to lust. Everyone know this? Sometimes people hear me say this, and I think they're a little shocked. They think, well, you shouldn't say that in church, Jim. But you're made to lust. What does lust mean? You know, the thing with lust is the word is just always universally used in a negative context. We understand in, in uh, the common vernacular, we're usually talking about illicit sexual desire. But if you look it up in the dictionary, lust is simply a strong desire. A strong desire. A yearning, a craving, a thirsting. That's what lust is. God made you to lust. What are you supposed to be lusting for? Him! The problem is not that you have lust in your life. The problem is that you have, it, you have placed it in the wrong place. Your object is wrong. It's supposed to be God. And beloved, those of you who are Christians, you know this. He satisfies it. He satisfies your desire. Sin never does. He always does. And He always will for a billion eternities. You know, it's what the, psalm, the, psalmist, the psalmist say it. What the psalm I read to you earlier. My soul pants for thee. My soul thirsts for thee. Psalm 63. God, I shall seek thee earnestly. My flesh yearns for thee. Psalm 143.6 My soul longs for thee. This is a holy lust, beloved. It's a holy desire. It's what you were created for. Satan knows this. He's just trying to get you to lust for everything else but the thing you were designed to desire, which is God. He wants to get you off God on some fleeting, inferior, sugar-coated substitute that always leaves a bad aftertaste. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sin always leaves this really bad aftertaste in my mouth. And I can't spit it out fast enough. So Satan's game is to get you to lust after after anything over and above God, even if it's a legitimate desire. It's a legitimate desire to want to be married. Yes? 
It's a legitimate desire to, to have children. A legitimate desire to, to have a good job and provide a, a good home for the family. All of these things are legitimate. But they're illegitimate if they're above God. Do you understand? This is what Scripture tells us. Then it becomes illegitimate. Then it becomes idolatry. This is what the Bible is telling us. Satan is so good at his job. I love how John MacArthur says it. John MacArthur says about verse 16, he sums it up, he says it like this. He says, it's wanting what you want and you could care less what God has to say. Isn't that what it comes down to? You want what you want. You don't care what God says. It doesn't matter what God says. I hear this all the time. I'm a pastor. I'm frequently engaged in counseling people. People who are going down the wrong path. And I have to say hard things to people sometimes. And people get mad at me. And they break the relationship. And they, they never reestablish the relationship. They get mad at me for telling them what God says. Some of you have had this experience. Some of you have loved people in your life enough to say, God says no. What you're doing is wrong. God says no. You know, you've got to love somebody <laughs> to say that to them because you're probably, I mean, you're running the chance of losing the relationship. But I have to say hard things to people sometimes. I have to say, no, you can't divorce your wife. You have no biblical grounds. You can't divorce your husband. You have no biblical grounds. Some people will hear it. Some people will not hear it. I say, no, you can't abort your baby. It's the image of God in your womb. You can't do that. Sometimes people will hear me, sometimes they won't. I say, no, you can't continue to have sex with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. God says no. God says no. You can't continue to pursue your homosexual lifestyle. God says no. Now why does God say no? There are a plethora of reasons why God says no, but ultimately God says no because He wants you to have the very best. What is the very best? Someone tell me. Him. Him. You can only come to God on God's terms. You can't come to Him on your terms, beloved. You can't. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You must come on His terms. Satan says, if He loved you, He'd let you have that thing you really want. He's not good. He's not good. He doesn't love you like I love you. I just want you to be happy. I want you to be fulfilled. I want you to, to, to be who you are and soar. You know, this is Satan's, Satan's line. I have to be honest with you. I have to be honest with you. I, sometimes I shudder at people who profess to be Christians who simply blow God off. I say, no, you can't do that. They say, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Because it feels right to me. God wouldn't, have let this God wouldn't have let this person come into my life if He didn't mean for you to be with this person. God wouldn't have, let this, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have let this happen, this circumstance happen, if He didn't mean for me to enjoy it. Beloved, either you submit to God's Word or you don't. It's really that simple. 
it's really that simple. Of course, Jesus says it, as always, better than anyone. <laughs> he says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Verse 17, quickly. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. This is the reason the Christian doesn't pursue the world and love the world. What does the text say? Why, 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 why do we not follow after the things of the world? Why? What does, it te- what does the text say? Because the world is what? It's leaving. The world is going away. The world is passing away. I'm going to share two Scriptures with you. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9. Listen to this. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels and flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord uh, and from the glory of His power. 2 Peter 3. Now listen to this. This is, this is why we don't ch- chase the world. I mean... There's no future in it. There's no profit in it. Listen to what's going to happen to the world. The present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. This is 2 Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be? in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is why we don't chase the world. It's passing away. Beloved, do you know that? You know that it's passing away. It's going to burn up. It's all going to burn up. You want to spend your life chasing something that's going to burn up. It makes no sense. Real Christians don't waste their lives loving the things of the world. We know that this world is under the judgment of God and soon will pass away. Yeah, we left Peter standing on his boat trying to decide what to do, and Satan is saying, God's not. He's not good. Don't go after Him. Don't go with Him. He's not good. You stay with me. I'll make you happy. I'll meet your needs. Stay with me. This is what's going on in that scene. Stay with me. You'll make more money. (laughs) Satan says. Your family will be more secure. Stay with me. Satan says, don't follow that guy. You don't know what might happen if you go with him. There's no telling what will happen if you surrender to his lordship. Take control of your own life. Live your own life. I'll help you. Sin's better. Sin's better than God. Sin is better than a godly life. It's better. Isn't that what he's saying to you? That's what Satan says. It's, his, it's the only two lies he's ever come up with. It's all he ever needed. It's all he's ever needed. Peter has to decide the same thing you and I have to decide. Will we love and treasure God 
above all the things in the, in the world or not? I mean, it's just that simple. Will we love God preeminently or will we love some fleeting, inferior, sugar-coated substitute more? Peter's standing on his boat in that movie. And he finally decides. He jumps off the boat. He looks back at his boy. And he says, take her back to Capernaum. He turns and he goes with Jesus. The rest is history, right? <laughs> and he, he wasn't perfect, was he? Peter wasn't perfect when he went with Jesus. And neither will you be. Neither will I be. But he went. What a great, great, awesome, awesome life that he lived. The Holy Spirit tells us that if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. So let me just ask you a quick question. We'll be done. Quick question. You know, if I hired an independent consultant, third party, disinterested, has no agenda to observe your life. This consultant comes in and just simply observes your life. They take notes. They look at how you live, what you watch. They look at your checkbook. They look at how you behave. They look at what you do. Uh, when you do it, how often you do it, how you deal your, with your relationships. So they look at these, they're looking at this thing. What would they conclude? Would they conclude that you love God preeminently or would they conclude that you love the world preeminently? Now, what would this third party person conclude? <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great question. That is a great question to ask yourself. Would, would, that, would that third party say, man, this, this girl loves God. I see it. I see it in her life. I hear it in her words. I see it in her deeds. I see it. I see it in her marriage. I see how she raises her kids. I see how she does her job. It's all for the glory of Christ. It's not perfect. But man, that's what she really wants. She wants to honor the Lord in her life. Beloved, None of us do it perfect. I understand. I understand maybe, more, maybe better than you. I'm a pastor. You don't think I can get on some serious guilt trips? <laughs> yeah. I can. I can. But our God is a merciful God. Our God forgives us. Our God forgives us. So, Quickly, two questions. We're done. If you're here today and you, you find that you do not love God, you either do not love Him at all, or you find that you do not love Him preeminently, there's one of two reasons. One, you're not born again. You may have been religious all your life, but you are not born again. If that's your situation, there's a real simple solution. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Seek Him in His Word. Repent of known sin. Fellowship with His people. Seek Him with all your heart and never quit. You, you know the great promise in Jeremiah 29.13. The Lord says, if you seek Me, you'll find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. Isn't that a great promise? Isn't that a great promise? The second possibility is maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you are born again. But you've become distracted. You've become distracted with something in the world. And you've fallen in love with that. Jesus talks about this in the Revelation. 
You've left your first love. I'm going to call you to repent tonight. I'm going to call you to get that back in order. You know, ministers do this. Ministers love their ministry sometimes more than they love God. I've seen it many times. It can be a good thing, but if you love it more than God, it's an idol. So, I'm going to challenge you to confess your sin. Cry out to Him. Seek Him. Repent of your sin. Return to your first love. God says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. It is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, I pray if there's someone in this room that does not love You, does not know You. Lord, I pray You would draw them, draw them to Yourself. Pray that You'd give them a heart of repentance. I pray that they would see the insanity of living outside Your will. Of, li of living outside of a relationship with their Creator. I pray, I pray Father, that it, would be, it would be clear. It's insane. It's insane. Lord, I pray if there's any here who, whose love has grown cool, Lord, I pray You give us a heart of conviction and repentance that we would not leave here, with, leave here with a cool heart, but with a heart white hot. A heart white hot in love with You. So Lord, thank You for this strong Word. Thank You that You always love us enough to tell us the truth. If we'll simply read Your Word with, with integrity, it's not hard to understand. So we thank You, Father, that You've spoken clearly to us tonight. We understand that we, we are vapors upon the earth. We understand that we have only moments on this planet as compared with eternity future. Only moments. We understand that. So Lord, I pray that we would, have, we would have the conviction to be good stewards of these few moments. That You would be honored in our, in our personal lives, in our thought lives, in our family lives, our work lives, our church life, in the neighborhood. that the beauty and value and worth of Jesus would be clearly seen in us. Help us, Father, to, be, to live like real Christians, sons and daughters of the King. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.